Hello and welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. This podcast features interviews with speakers from our most recent OME conference. That was OME 2021, but this month's guest is Ruthie Sloan, and she was actually talking about her session from OME 2020. She was originally supposed to be on the podcast last year, but due to some unforeseen circumstances, we had to cancel that episode. So we're happy to have her back to give us a preview of her upcoming webinar, Building and Assessing Spatial Reasoning Through Play. So let's get right to it. We are talking with Ruthie Sloan. Ruthie, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm glad to be here finally. That is good to hear. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Ruthie Sloan, and I am a teacher and learner um, in the Peel District School Board at uh, a new school called Private Buckham Singh. I teach primary, so anywhere between kindergarten and grade two, three-ish. And I live in Bolton uh, with my two boys, and we uh, I love to run. But yeah, no, I uh, got into math partly out of my undergrad and partly out of my master's program. And I found you guys at OAME <laughs> my first year as a teacher, and I haven't looked back. So I'm curious. So you, you did mention your OAME, and I, and I ask uh, everyone this question uh, every every podcast. Uh, you know, how did you first hear, hear of OAME or, or get involved with OAME? So I first heard about OAME in my master's program. I was with Joan Moss and she was teaching math and she was talking about this big conference that went on every year, but it wasn't until my first year as an educator that I was doing a bunch of uh, investigations and uh, more extensions of some of the research that Joan Moss was doing in spatial reasoning that a math coach, Ryan Tackaberry, who later became my mentor, came in and uh, said, hey, there's a math conference happening in May, you should seriously consider going to it. It's going to be amazing. And I was an LTO, which means that we don't really have days off (laughs) and we don't have vacation or PD time. So I went to my principal. I was like, how do I make this work? I want to go to this conference. And she ended up getting some release time and figuring it out. And it was the first time I got to go to this conference. And it was amazing. It was like, I always said it was like going to like Disneyland for math educators. (laughs) It was like you found your people um, at that conference. I found like I've never been felt so like accepted and being able to have conversations um, about learning and about like research and not have people feel intimidated or insecure, but just lots of questions. The whole week was questions and it was such a beautiful weekend to have or a beautiful week to have conversations of like a question mentality instead of a vocabulary of no, we can't do that. So I started that one year, and after that, Ryan was like, you should go and present next year. I was like, no way. I can't do that. I'm not experienced. I'm still a rookie. But I put a proposal in and got accepted, <laughs> and I've been presenting at OAME almost ever since. I think this is the first year. Last year or this year was the first two years that I had to put it, a little stop on it because I was, um, I'm doing some work on my own personal health stuff, so... <laughs> But OAME is amazing. Um, I really, really suggest, highly suggest, educators should all be given an opportunity to go and check it out. It's not just for those people that are invest, like highly invested into research and math. It's for everybody. Honestly, in elementary, I think that teachers need to understand that it's it, you're not. It's not that you're not a math person or you're not like a literacy person. You're in, you're a child learning. 
person. And part of that learning is math as well. <laughs> so I just, I think it's a, a necessary for primary teachers. And there were lovely people there. Trust me, lovely people. That too, that too. But I, I like how you, you characterize it. You know, it is, and I always sort of thought about it, it's like a playground for mathematics. You know, you, you do feel comfortable talking to, you know, your, the people around you because you have such a common passion for, for mathematics. And you know, the other thing that I really found interesting, especially, I think it was either the last one, the one in Ottawa that we went to. Was that two years ago? Three mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah. Uh, 2019. Yeah. So Ottawa, that, that OAME, ironically enough, I hung out mostly with secondary teachers and it was fantastic. It was very interesting to me to see how just the language of math is different, but we're still talking about learning. But it was interesting to have a secondary teacher with me and we were translating between the two of us and Kat um, Hendry or Gosling, actually her and I did a presentation on math from primary all the way up to secondary and she's been my like partner in crime in translating a lot of stuff to me on the secondary end of it but it really got me thinking about how when we think about development especially in primary we just think about you know maybe up to grade five grade six into that flow of the junior but secondary is all part of it and it's like a big family and understanding how that flow works OAME made that so apparent to me it made it so visible because you're sitting in some of these secondary sessions and you're like, oh, I'm a primary teacher. I don't belong here. But no, you learn so much about what comes next. And it's just as vital. And like to sit there with the patience of a whole bunch of secondary educators um, who are also in this learning mode um, was super powerful to me because like I met Kat and Kat and I have done a lot of like book talks together and she lives in Kingston and I live in like Bolton, so Peel area. Two different boards, two different like levels of teaching, but her and I have developed a professional and like personal friendship, like a really deep one. But it was from OAME, and learning how to talk from both sides has been something powerful, not only in my own research and my own thinking, but having somebody to reflect with that has a name and a face <laughs> only happened because of OAME. <laughs> so I have so much respect for this conference. Just like its potential. Let's go with that. OAMI has lots of potential for you to like grow your own learning journeys. And, you know, I, I find it interesting that you, you brought up the fact that, that uh, there is, it doesn't seem to be uh, any, any distinguishing between uh, levels in terms of being able to ha- have conversations with each other. And you're, and I, sometimes I think in the school, we, we keep separate from each other. But, but you're right. We really, it is really a continuum. And much of the things that happen in kindergarten can translate to uh, success in in uh, grade 12. And so, yeah, we have to have those conversations and we have to hang out. And as you said, mm-hmm. translate between each other so that we can get the language and understand where we, we're going and where we, we came from. Now, so today we're, we're having you talk to us and give us a little preview of your upcoming webinar Building and Assessing Spatial Reasoning Through Play. Now, this was originally, uh, we were actually, you were supposed to be on the uh, the podcast last year and, and doing a webinar for us last year because this was originally a session from OME 2020, but due to uh, unfortunate circumstances, we couldn't have you last year. We had to cancel that. And so we're happy to have you back this year to uh, finally give this talk. And so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what you will be uh, speaking to in a couple of weeks. 
So, you know, David, I really think that there is some serendipitous stuff happening here with the universe because when I first originally had put this session together um, and had run this session one time previous, it was even at the OME, the version, the ish version I had done the first year piloting this, we had a lot of play provocations and stuff. And it was all looking at building and assessing spatial reasoning before the changes in our curriculum and even before. Uh, we went online. But as everybody knows, the last couple of years have been quite a learning curve for our understanding about what is learning, what is play, and how to do it remotely. And over like teaching online, I'm very like I've worked for EdTech, I've worked for now Cobblestone, and I've been helping teachers even before we got online to think about digitalizing their classroom and thinking about technology. And I find it quite interesting because my learning through this whole thing has been like catastrophic because it's not only about learning the piece about learning how to use the tech, but it's learning about how kids learn with the tech. And thinking when this, when I first originally designed this session, it was thinking that the educator and the learners would be there, they'd be able to see them in real time face to face, like it would be in a classroom setting. So this, I swear, is serendipitous because when I got into teaching grade one and two, my whole math started to change because I had to think about how to do it remotely. What are the essence of what you're looking for and how do kids demonstrate it in real time? Or how do you have evidence of what they're doing to know what you know and to know what the next step is? And how do you do that with 20 some odd kids? <laughs> so I really think that the universe was at work pausing this session because there's been a lot of adjustments to it. And even in my thinking, um, and even things that I've tried remotely with my students that have kind of helped set that up, kind of helped these ideas that I had and that I was working on like three years ago to kind of come into fruition and think about it a bit more diversely for like what are the different teaching scenarios might look like or could look like or had looked like. So I have to say that this session is going to look at a lot of, it's going to look to research, it's going to give like a brief thing about some of the research behind it and what we're looking for and its impacts kind of on later grades and learning mathematics. It's going to take the new curriculum and start to look for what does it actually say and what should we be looking for. It's going to give some ideas about visualization and about the power of visualization in our play. And then it's going to give you some tools for assessment to kind of chart down what you're looking for and what you need to be looking for and its connection to the curriculum. And then it's going to look at like the remote end of it. So like, how do you do this remotely? How do you assess this play? We know it's good. We know we should be doing it. Here's where it is in the curriculum. How do you do it remotely? And there's going to be some tips and tricks. So I'm going to show you some videos and I'm going to kind of just lead you guys through some of the discoveries that I've been making. You guys, we're going to have some play because I don't, I think every webinar is only more made more fun with adult play because we are still learners at heart. <laughs> but the real thing is to think more deeply into some of these big questions we have as educators that because everything's changing so much, we don't really stop and pause on these. And what does it look like in our own practice? What does it look like with the learners ahead of us? And I'm going to take you through some of the thinking that went on in my head while I went through these questions um, and some of the other educators I've worked with and some of the things that worked for us and uh, some of the things we learned along the way. Sounds like a lot, <laughs> but it's, um, there'll be tools. Yeah. And there'll be tools and stuff that you guys will be left with to kind of, you know, work through and use at your own pace. Resources that I've collected from other books and stuff like that, that I've just made available more digitally 
with the permission. So some of the taxidermy stuff with permission. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, you've got two things that are happening. You've got the play and the learning that's happening on another side of a camera sometimes or in your classroom. And then you've got the piece of tech or no tech. And I think both it can be done both ways. And I think that it's kind of promoting a deeper thinking, but with less buttons. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because I think when you give people tech, they think, oh, there's too many things to learn and there's too many buttons to push, both in terms of learning with tech and without tech. So, yeah. Does that make sense? I, I'm I'm just not sure how you're going to fit that all into, squeeze that all into one hour, but I, I have trust in you. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you have faith in me? I have faith in you. I wonder if you could give us uh, an example, because you, you've, you know, even in the title, we're talking about building and assessing. I mean, I, I, I think people can wrap their heads around kids using play to start to learn things. Yeah. But I'm curious about assessing through play if you can give us maybe an example of how that might look so okay so when you have a kid that's like I've got some tasks that I've put in with videos of kids playing and I have one of the 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 activities or things that I had in the web in the um, session was to look at what the child child is playing with thinking about the spatial skills that are needed in order to play it and the spatial skills that they are exhibiting while they're playing this, right? So like, for instance, there's a game outside that they were playing with a grid. I just put up a grid and a frog and the kids were playing like a, a call out game, um, like move three boxes, three boxes to the right, right? And the kid would move. So how much spatial skills are needed in order for them to understand that this is kindergarten, keep in mind. But then I talked about how would you extend this so we get a deeper understanding so that the learning and the teaching is there and it's not just so free range. What would you add to this to make it their understanding, to make sure that you understand and make sure they understand what spatial skills come next? So like, for instance, in the, the example of the grid and the kid playing with the frog, all I did was I left out arrow cards. And I said, what is the longest chain of arrows you could make to get to the frog? What's the shortest? So by closing that task and giving a more like closed challenge, so like a yes or no type of challenge, like there's only one answer. It's not so open-ended. The kids were able to assess coding, which is in our curriculum now too, <laughs> directionality, their understanding. I got to see their understanding, even of the, like, if you think about literacy, their, um, ability to give directions, like two-step directions, three-step directions. I gave them a whiteout board as the third extension, and you got to see them try to communicate their spatial understanding with the arrows going up and down so many times. I got to understand their understanding of instructions, like how to like sequence them. So which is first, which is second, which is third. And it's arranged, not just in your spatial reasoning. You get to see like all areas of our math content that like in kindergarten are very the kindergarten program, it's very much more in your math, your math and your um, spatial stuff is all in your um, literacy and math understanding. Like that's all it as you get into grade one, grade two, grade three, it actually becomes more deeper and more specific. So I mean, kindergarten and play, you get way more leeway into being able to assess that. Whereas when you get into grade one, two and three, it's more specifics, but it's there in kindergarten in play. So I mean, I'm going to break up 
like some of my examples are kindergarten and some of my examples are grade one and two. And to understand the difference between those two is pretty huge because in kindergarten we have playtime, not playtime, learning time, which is like more open-ended play. But in grade one, you have an actual, you have an actual math block. So there's a difference between those two. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, especially in light of what we said, you said earlier about, you know, spending time with secondary teachers. Uh, I mean, it sounds like when you, when you're, you're, you've laid this out, the primary audience here is, you know, primary teachers, which is fine, but I'm wondering like, what, what could, what could a secondary teacher pull from some of the things you're going to be saying? The thing is when I go from kindergarten to grade one, it's looking at the more specific. So kindergarten teachers will always say they're not, they're just playing. Right. So assessing to them is more the idea of here is a resource. You're watching them play. What is the math that's that you're watching? Like, what do they know about spatial reasoning? And there's actual I've actually created for spatial reasoning, a map that looks at spatial skills and how they develop, whether it's shape, whether it's like directionality and looked at how those those concepts kind of build upon each other. So you can actually map it out. Because kindergarten, you don't have that. Kindergarten, it's only like they're you're watching them in like you know outside play or in the sand. And what do they know about math? So it's when kindergarten kids are playing, they are learning, yes, but their understanding of what comes next is based on what you observe in their play. So the the educator plays that role. Whereas in grade one, you have a math block. And you're teaching a subject. So the understanding of assessing and how you assess that is twofold. One, a lot of what I see in math is teachers, educators are teaching a concept and then assessing it, whereas the pre-assessment is vital to understand what you're going to teach. <laughs> like, what do they have? And the play is not necessarily there like it was in kindergarten. So in terms of what you're asking about the secondary teachers, it's probably more a look at what happens in kindergarten, grade one and two that changes once you get to secondary. Because secondary, it's all about here's the lesson that we've taught you from, okay, hold on, I don't teach secondary, but <laughs> from what Kat tells me, here's a lesson and then here's our test and now I know what you don't know. Does that make sense? Like they do have pre-tests, but it's more still the student's responsibility, whereas in elementary, it's still the teacher's. And I'm also, you're making me think now that when, when students are, are starting out in kindergarten and moving to grade one, grade two, what, what gaps they may have. Lots, and especially remotely now. The gaps are extreme. Yes. Because you have to understand that kids are social learners. And there's nobody at home, right? So all play is based on who's in front of them. So in my grade one and two class, what I did to, because some of them only had half a kindergarten that year because they all got into lockdown and it was all still trying to figure out how to teach online. So they couldn't even spell their name. So my math lessons were small group lessons, but everybody's camera was on. Everybody was unmuted. And it was social learning <laughs> in smaller groups. But I would be demoing something, not on a, not on a screen, but through a camera and I'd be modeling it on the floor. Like we did a lesson on data management with shoes and I had them go get shoes. And I was like, I want you to make a graph, like a bar graph to, to represent like 
like data that you have on like five, six pairs of shoes that you find in your house, right? But I got to learn so much about who these little kids were, even like their capacity to talk to each other and correct each other. Like when I was teaching online, I went back and thought about the things that were missing from a classroom. And a lot of it was a socialization. We learn through talking in elementary, right? Like it's all a social thing. And when you take that away remotely, how are you still supporting that as an educator? Because that still needs to happen. Back in kindergarten, kids come to kindergarten and they, you give them, I always laugh at this, but you give them a bit of manipulatives and they've never seen this toy. To them, it's a toy. And what do they do with the toy? Everybody does the same thing because nobody knows how to use this toy. <laughs> and usually it's patterning blocks and they think that they're blocks, so they stack them all up. <laughs> They don't understand making designs and stuff because they've never seen these things before. <laughs> Until you give them like a closed task. Like what I would do is the grade ones would, I would take pictures of some like designs they've made with patterning blocks, right? And I put them on the wall. Kids were like, oh, here's an idea. I can extend this. It's why Lego like has the books that you build with, right? To teach them how to use the tool, the tool right? And gives them examples of things they could do. That whole bin of Lego, kids will continually make the same thing out of the free-range bin of Lego until somebody shows them that they can do something different. But that's all learned in school. That's all learned through watching other kids play with things, whether it's at school or with your like neighbor friend. But that's all social learning. In high school, you guys, I, like I don't understand how you guys are surviving remotely. I have to be honest. <laughs> Because it's all social, right? And I get that there, I guess that there's like social media and like calling and texting and FaceTime and stuff on their own time. But if they don't have time to socialize and to talk about their learning or to explain their learning or to make mistakes with their peers, like how do you guys account for that? <laughs> I think the, the idea of um, the connection between social learning and play is, is very strong. And I think that that maybe maybe for me one of the most important things i think maybe there's a misconception that play just happens on its own and doesn't require any uh nudging and and it sound it sounds like you know there there we we have to sort of push in certain directions to to get some of the things that we want yeah oh definitely and it, even in the research on spatial reasoning like this is one of the foundational pieces. It's not so much children's exposure to spatial tasks, it's the gains that they make, so the mistakes that they make and how they're corrected that that you count as being uh, influential and like like extremely important for later development in literacy and math. So it's the mistakes they make and the gains they make in their thinking that like basically dictate their uh, like overall academic success later in life which I think is really interesting because it, you can give kids a bin of Lego and it only goes to a certain level. But if you give them a task and say, I want you to think about this and give them like something to think about or something to work through, that is where you see how their thinking kind of comes alive. The visualization, you know, the thinking about quantity or estimation, like all of those pieces come out because you've given them something to focus on. I mean, it's like at a very young age, right? It's really silly that we assume that every kid has equal access to everything and even in their thinking. Like in kindergarten, you see this as kids that know how 
see a sand table and know what to do with it. That's an equity issue. Most, like, some kids might not have ever seen a sand table or they think sand is dirty and they don't know what to do with it. They're watching everybody else. (laughs) I mean, and a lot of kids will play with the things just the same way until you give them or show them something. That's why, like, you think about hobby kids and Evan's toy review and all these YouTubers that are these kids, YouTubers that are becoming super, super rich at a really young age are showing kids how to play with toys, showing kids how to engage with toys. And the toy companies love this, but it's also great for kids like to not, I guess, bad way, not have to go out and play with other kids. But like, that was how we did it back in the day before YouTube. We had somebody on our block that got a new toy and we went and watched them play with their toy and hope that they let us play with it. (laughs) But we learned by, like, doing, right? So, I mean, I I think that that never really goes away. I remember sitting beside you, actually, David, once at a OAMI, wasn't an OAMI session or something, and I was folding madly with uh, sticky notes, which I always do, and you gave me a resource to a website of somebody that makes mad, awesome things with origami. But like it was you watching me and then giving me something to focus on that totally took my origami sticky notes to a new level. There we go. We, we need those nudges. Yeah. But even people to like look at you and think, hey, this could be something cool as a next step. That's an, as an adult professional. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So um, we uh, are looking forward to hearing from you in a couple of weeks at our webinar. And we're happy that we got a little bit of a preview of what you're going to be talking about. So thank you, Ruthie, for coming out today and talking to us. And we will uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Perfect. Thank you. Look forward to it. That was Ruthie Sloan giving us a sneak peek at her upcoming webinar, Building and Assessing Spatial Reasoning Through Play. She'll be presenting that on February 9th at 8 p.m. OME members can sign up for free at our MCIS registration site. There's a link in the description. Next month, we'll be talking about financial literacy with Lisa Rossiter Thornton and Anne Prevost. But before that, in the coming weeks, we're going to have some previews of the featured and keynote speakers from the upcoming OME 22 virtual conference, which is coming up in May. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, stay safe.